I want to start off with a question and ask you about uh, religion. And, and, and here's the question. Would you say that overall that religion is a positive or a negative force in the world today? Does it make us better as a society or is it toxic? A lot of us know an individual or more who uh, is deconstructing their faith. Uh, if you're not familiar with that term, when someone deconstructs their faith, for some it means it's an aspect where they go, I don't see things the way I used to see them, and I'm leaving some of what I believe behind. But for them, it's not always a bad thing. Sometimes they're removing the scaffolding around the core of their faith. In other words, they go, I thought that to be a follower of Christ meant I had to vote like this, or there were certain behaviors, and I, and I realized there was some extra stuff that I viewed as inextricably linked to my faith, and I'm going, I'm not, I'm not so sure that that's the case. And so they remove some of the scaffolding around the core of their faith, but they hold on to their faith in Jesus. But there are other people who deconstruct their faith, and they don't just leave the scaffolding behind, they leave everything behind. And they just deny altogether. They go, you know, I, I used to see it that way, but I've sort of matured, evolved, whatever, and I, I just don't I, I don't, I don't believe anything I used to believe. Some of them will become agnostic or atheist, and they might believe that agnosticism or atheism actually lead to a better society, to a more progressive, um, you know, all-inclusive kind of and they might even view, as like Christopher Hitchens, the well-known atheist of you know, the last few decades, he, he saw religion as being poison for society. In the minds of these individuals, religion leads to greater occurrences of war, judgmentalism, uh, racism. It, it increases levels of ignorance and intolerance. And really just as a whole, they would say, it's just, it makes us sort of a backward trending society when religion has a foothold. That's what some people want you to believe. But what if the data doesn't back that up? Rodney Stark is one of the most celebrated and respected sociologists of religion in the world. In fact, he's written over 30 books. And twice he's won the Distinguished Book Award from the Society for the Scientific Study of Religion. He's just a, a widely respected guy um, in his field. And in one of his books, uh, actually in numerous ones of his books, he sketches out some fascinating examples based on detailed sociological data. And, he, and here's what he shows. Rodney Stark shows that religion is actually good and perhaps great for society as a whole. Let me just read some of the examples, what he finds, and this is just a short list of what he says the data points to, that religious people, for starts, are the primary source of secular charitable funds that benefit victims of misfortune, no matter their beliefs. In other words, they provide money for water, fresh water, and, and you know, digging wells in parts of Africa, or they help out to help anybody, you know, Christians and Muslims and, you know, whatever. Religious people dominate the ranks of blood donors and other pro-social behaviors. Religious people enjoy superior physical health. They have an average life expectancy more than seven years longer than that of the year religious. Some are going, I just got to get more religious right now. I can add seven years to my life. This is great. This next one is a little bit interesting to me. Religious people are less likely to believe in the occult. I, I got that. But also less likely to believe in UFOs and Bigfoot. Some of you are going, oh, shoot. I, can I just... 
I got to be honest, my personal research led me. Um, uh, that's, that's, and I, it was a scary day. That's overlooking the Pacific <laughs> um, Ocean there in Oregon where our daughter and son-in-law live. And it was, uh, it was in quite an encounter. Um, I was actually there to see a very real person. I've got to squeeze in this picture right here. That's our 13-month-old grandson, Teddy. And uh, he's looking at a picture of me right there, I think. Uh, so <laughs> Who is that bald guy, Jojo? So anyhow, um, back to my main point here. Religion, religion is, is good for us. Urban stats going from present day back to the 1920s. So 100 years of studies show that the higher a city's church membership rates, in other words, let's say Cleveland has a higher church membership rate than Detroit or something like that. The lower it's, and I'm, I'm sure it does, by the way, uh, <laughs> any Michigan people here, the lower it's burglary, larceny, robbery, assault, and homicide rates. What's the point? It's, it's this. Studies consistently show that on average, higher religious commitment has been good for communities and for the nation. In other words, religion is not poisonous or toxic. It actually, on balance, is really good for a society. Another um, societal observer who's a journalist, Nicholas Kristof, uh, writes for the New York Times, written a number of books. He's not a Christian. He explored the work of a relatively unknown evangelical uh, Christian doctor who ran a hospital in Angola, part of Africa, that had one of the highest levels of infant mortality in the world. And Christoph, this New York Times writer, he noted this. He said, I must say that a disproportionate share of the aid workers, he's traveled real widely, I've met in the wildest places over the years, long after anyone sensible has evacuated, have been evangelicals, nuns, or priests. A few years ago, in an op-ed for the New York Times, he made this statement. He said, go to the front lines at home and abroad in the battles against hunger, malaria, obstetric fistula, human trafficking, or genocide, and some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians or conservative Catholics who truly live their faith. Why bring all of this up? Because the data challenges the frequently stated narrative of our time that God and religion should really have no place or far less of a place in society, and that the real hope uh, for our world and for our nation or whatever is to have more, and you fill in the blank, more education, more uh, science, more technology, more whatever. Almost as if those are somehow antithetical to faith, which they're not. You can be a great scientist and a person of great faith. But some people are saying you need to sort of vacuum um, religion out of a society and society will get better. And Rodney Stark says, actually, it gets worse. And maybe that's what we're seeing in our society today. Now, I just want to be uh, clear here that um, the data uh, does not necessarily prove that any one particular religion is true, right? Not saying it's not true, but it doesn't, that it just says it's, a society is better. And it doesn't also uh, help us to, it doesn't cause us to deny that uh, there have been some really bad examples of religion in history, right? There have been, there have been, there's always people taking advantage and, and living corruptly and all the rest. But here's Rodney Stark's point, that we shouldn't ignore some of the problems, but that on whole, that um, the current narrative doesn't give the accurate picture, that the data actually shows that the more religious a society is, the better it's going to be. You might say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, look at the data, study it. Look at the guy named Rodney Stark. 
read some others. But all of this leads us to Jesus. Because he's one of the greatest religious figures in history. And if about a third of the world's population acknowledges Jesus in some way and says, I I believe that there is something about this man who only lived like 30-some years before he was unjustly executed, but there's something about this man that that is compelling, that, that brings a lift to society. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he gave value to every single person. People that in in his first century world were often diminished by by the society as a whole, children and women and ethnic minorities and people who had chronic illness. And Jesus lifted all of them up. I mean, just every one of them. He would spend time with them. He'd go to their homes. His self-stated mission was to serve instead of being served. He says, I've not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He lived simply while being generous with others, and his teaching backed up his lifestyle example. In fact, I wonder if one of the key motivating factors for Jesus' followers through the centuries, even today, are not only the example that he lived, but also the parables that he taught. Because what Jesus does is when he tells stories, he, he, he sort of does this paradigm-breaking kind of stories, and he, and he helps us to see people in a new light. And he does that in the parable we're going to look at today. It's inspired and and motivated people through the centuries. And my prayer is it's going to to do the same for us today. So if you have your Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 25, and if you don't have a paper Bible, the Bible app on your phone, we'd like to mention that a great place to turn. Also, the notes today are going to be super helpful. So if you didn't get those on your way into one of the tables here, you can go uh, online to gracema.org. And those of you engaging online, really glad to have you uh, with us. Those of you at Olmstead Falls, guys at Lorraine Correctional, um, thank you for being a part of our church family. And those of you engaging from different places, uh, really uh, glad to have you with us. A lot of you uh, who are engaging online, uh, we were hoping to see at the picnic today at Vermilion. But uh, there were some farmers praying for rain, and, uh, and they won. And so we told the 54 people getting baptized. Did you know 54 people? Isn't that amazing who, who are getting baptized? And, and so we mentioned to them yesterday, we said, we want your baptism to be an electrifying experience, but not with lightning hitting the water, that kind of electrifying experience. And so they're calling for the potential of lightning and hail and we want them to prove their commitment to Jesus, but maybe not quite in that way. And, uh, and so next Sunday, we'll, we'll uh, join together. So how have uh, Jesus' followers been compelled uh, through history to make a more positive influence in society? Like, how, how have they been part of that religious uplift uh, that Rodney Stark and, and Nicholas Kristoff and so many others talk about? The passage here in Matthew 25 has really been... Uh, shape the minds and vision of so many people. And, I, and, and again, I hope it does it for us. Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse, verse, verse 31. We'll get that out there. Here it says, here's what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Now he's talking about himself there. The Son of Man, he, he quotes the book of Daniel, and that's like the king, the, the one of, who's sent from God, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He's talking about himself before Jesus. And he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right 
and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, would you read the next four words with me? Ready? Aloud. You did for me. You did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and, and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Sometimes it's good just to let a story soak in a little bit. To pause and to say, wow. If I believe that to be true, it shapes the way I see the people around me. It dramatically gives more value to the way that I serve. And on the day that Jesus comes again, I'm either going to be in this group or that group. That, that's a big deal. Here's the thing that Jesus is just driving home in this parable, that when we serve another person in need, we are actually serving whom? Jesus. Six times he uses the word me, beginning in verse 35. He says, I was a stranger and you invited who? Me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then he makes a shocking statement in verse 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Wow. When you and I, in the name of Jesus, go and we do a simple act of compassion or we reach out to someone in crisis, in some way we see someone and serve someone, Jesus says, you're doing that for me. Now he says here, he says, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. The first circle of help you might say that Jesus talks about are people who, who are part of 
the family of Jesus. He said, who are my mother and brothers and sisters? They're the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. So the ones who put their trust in Christ, and he's saying, we first of all serve the people who are part of his family, put their trust in him. And Galatians 6 says that they help everyone, and especially those who belong to the household of faith. So we serve people who love and follow Jesus, and then we go beyond that, and we don't stop there, because Jesus, when this one guy says, well, Jesus, he says, well, what's the greatest command? Jesus says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, you know, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells another parable, right? The parable of the Good Samaritan. He basically says this. He goes, who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is anybody who's in need. When you serve people who are in need, Jesus says, you're actually serving me. And, and all of the ones he mentions here, people are experiencing significant distress or hardship, like they're in crisis uh, of some sort, and they they need an act of kindness. And Jesus says, and when you, when you follow through, he says, you're, you're doing that for me. And they're stunned. I mean, both groups, they both respond the same way, right? Those who served others and, and those who didn't. One group says, Lord, Lord, when do we serve you like this? Like, when, when do we feed you or clothe you or whatever? Even though they had done it, they said, well, When? And the other group goes, Lord, when, when did we fail to do this? Like, how, how do we uh, miss you? They both miss the fact that the people that they served or failed to serve bore the image of, of Jesus within them. And that was actually him that they served. Let me speak a word of affirmation here. Um, some of you, a lot of you are making an impact and you're, it might be in your school, your workplace. There's a new neighbor moved in, a, a widow's down the street. Someone is going through a, uh, you know, a cancer journey or whatever. And you're showing and, and you're thinking, yeah, I'm doing this for, you know, this person or that person or whatever. Can I, can I say that Jesus is going, I, I want you to see something beyond that. I want to call a time out here. You're not just serving that person that is a colleague, neighbor, friend, you're serving me. You're serving me. That's what Jesus says. And what he mentions here in this passage, he mentions five groups. You'll see these on the screen. If you look at the verses, you'll see there as well, starting in verse 35, and he repeats this, but he, he says there's the hungry, you know, and those who are poor. They just don't have enough to, to for bailing basic daily necessities. There's a stranger, um, someone who's new to your community. There may be an immigrant, a, a refugee. Third group he mentions are those in need of clothing. You might go, who would that be for us? I would say for us, at least we could include as part of that would be the unborn and, and their moms who are in crisis and, and their families. In fact, we're going to be talking more about that next week because it's such a big issue right now. And I hope you'll be here. Uh, I, I, I want us to, with grace and the truth of Jesus, to say, let's look at that. How can we come alongside families with the recent SCOTUS decision and say, God, we want to love people like you love them. Fourth group, he mentions here, the sick, the infirm, those who are shut in, et cetera. And then the fifth group, those who are incarcerated. These are the ones Jesus says in his day, anyhow, are often overlooked and probably somewhat in our day as well. And again, he's saying this, he's saying, when you serve people in crisis like this, you're not just serving the people in front of you, he says, you're serving me. I, I'm really encouraged, by the way, in your notes, I told you, I really want you to look at the notes today because I've listed these five different groups that Jesus mentions, how they're a biblical theme all the way through the scripture. And then also, uh, how are people at grace reaching? They're reaching out to all of these groups. 
And if you're wondering, like, wow, I really have a passion, like, I'd love to help those who are hungry, I'd love to help the incarcerated, I'd love to, that you, you can make an impact uh, with any one of these uh, groups. And often, uh, there are people right in front of us. And, and what happens is this, that we get so caught up in our own perceptions of reality that we miss that Jesus, we are encountering him maybe numerous times during the day. And he's going, when you did that for that person or when you didn't do that for that person, um, you did it or you didn't do it for me. He might show up in, in a widow who lives four doors down from you, who's recently lost her husband. He might show up in, a, in a, uh, an immigrant family who's trying to learn the language and get their kids, you know, situated in school. He, he could be in a person uh, that he shows up in a person in a nursing home who has almost no visitors, he might be a person you know that is in your workplace who is sort of ostracized by others or maybe in your school. Or maybe it's a person who's dealing with a chronic illness and, and they feel forgotten. And he says, when you, when you show kindness to them, he says, you're serving me. And the way that they're surprised, I think sometimes it happens in pretty simple ways. This past Monday, I officiated the funeral for Davian Flanagan, uh, really a kind young man. You've heard about the accident in Strongsville where two young men were killed. One was on my basketball team for four years, and then Davion was part of our youth group here at Grace. And, um, and I can only imagine the heartache of the families that have lost uh, really young sons. So this past Monday, I'm officiating the funeral for Davion, and just beautifully done. The family honored him in a wonderful way, and, and through their broken hearts. And um, so after the service, a lot of high schoolers, kids just out of high schools are at the service. So after, one of the uh, young men comes up to me, and he's a really big guy, and, and he, um, he asked me a few questions, goes, hey, what you said, help me out, uh, just think through this and everything. So I'm listening, we're chatting, and so finally, I just asked him, I said, how did you know Davion? And he goes, oh, man, he goes, I'm, um, you know, I sometimes have been made fun of by other kids. And he said, Davion, he was the starting running back on the football team. And he said, when he would hear a kid say something to me that was like a bully and kind of say, hey, 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 don't say that. Don't say it about him. And he said, he, he stood up for me. And he goes, that made really an, an impression on me. And I thought of the words of Jesus that I was studying for this week when he said, I was a stranger and you invited me in. It's something as simple as in a school for those of you who are students, those of you in the workplace, and maybe someone who is is looked upon as like they're the person, and, 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 and we encounter Jesus and when we serve people in that way, we, we honor him when we treat them with dignity and with compassion. And you don't have to look very far. I mean, it might be that he takes you to a different country or a different region, but, but it's often people who, who live right nearby. In fact, there might be someone that as I'm speaking, you go, oh my goodness, and, and the Spirit of God has brought someone to mind. You might not even know the Spirit of God brought them to mind, but you're thinking, I could probably help that person. I wonder if this is the person. And, and God is already putting it in your heart that you could make a difference for that person. If you're going, I, I don't know where to start, you know, I... You mentioned nursing homes. Did you know that Grace Church has Bible studies in, in over 10 nursing homes in the area? 
that there's a team of people who reach out to those who are shut in, that there's a team of people who make meals. That's just one area. Um, out in the lobby today, you'll see some uh, balloons, uh, and it's, they have, it's called Surf Central. And, and it's an opportunity where people there are just going, hey, uh, we'll help you get connected according to your passion, your time availability, you know, maybe your interest level or something like that. And, and they'll help you get connected. Guys at Lorraine Correctional, you might go, well, where's our table? My hunch is that you all know someone who's new on your cell block. Or you see someone who you go, man, they're, they're broken. They, are, they look lost. And you could be the one that helps a guy feel like, all right, I'm finding some community here. Maybe invite him to service or to galvanized or something like that. You can make a difference right where I've I've seen you doing it already. And you're having influence. Continue on. I'm also, I can't tell you how excited about our new surf page on our website. Team did an awesome job. You got to check this out. And in fact, you're going to see a little sample of it right here. This is what it looks like. There's 21 different areas there that if you go, hey, I might be a part of this. And, and then if you uh, look, I'll ask the team to, here to click on the Cleveland Outreach. And if you click on Cleveland Outreach, you'll see it just gives a description there and says that. Or if you're, maybe you have the skills and talents for facility kind of work and, uh, and you say, I could help either Middleburg or Olmstead, you know, to help with just regular cleaning or setting up rooms to make this a great place for ministry. Uh, the next one here you'll see is uh, sports. Maybe you, you, you love sports like I do, and you go, maybe I could coach like a, an upward basketball team or cheer or something like that, or I could be a devotional person for one of the softball teams. And then Lorraine Correctional. Um, we've mentioned we're so glad to have you guys part of our, our church family here. And a number of people are helping out. And then if you click the prison campus, you'll see here there's a number of ways you can go, wow, I, I can't go there, but I could be on the prayer team or I could be part of job seekers there or or help with discipleship, and there's different days and all the rest, and so lots of different ways to get uh, plugged in. The reason you, you're not, if you're not really serving, it's, it's not because there aren't opportunities, right? You can talk to someone in the lobby, you can go on the, on the website. Um, if you're already plugged in, uh, kudos to you. Here's what Jesus is telling us in this parable. If you look at the back side of your notes, if you're watching the notes there, there's going to be a day of glory coming when Jesus is going to come again and every single person will see him. I've listed some verses that say that. And, and when he comes again, he says in verse 31 here, Matthew 20, he's going to separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. You're going to be in one of two groups. And, and this is a consistent theme through Jesus' parable. He talks about the wheat and the tares. He talks about the good fish and the bad fish. He talks about the sheep and the goats. And, and the sheep in this instance, like from afar, sheep and goats, if they're grazing in the same pasture, they look sort of similar. But when you get up close, they're pretty different animals. And Jesus says, I'm going to apply to this that sheep are more those who, who have a, a tenderness toward God. They put their faith in him and they're following Christ. And, and the goats are... are uh, they resist God's kingdom and leadership, and, and he says, you're going to be divided based on the way that you've treated others. And, and as a result of that, all of us will be assigned to our eternal home. We're either going to hear, we're going to hear one of two things. We're either going to hear, come, you who are blessed by my Father, like, accept your inheritance, like, it's going to be amazing. Or, it's going to be, depart from me, you who are cursed. And Jesus lets that linger, and you go, Wow. I just want to be clear what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, just say it again, he's not saying that we're saved by being kind to others. 
Our good works don't make us righteous. Instead, they reveal a right relationship with Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by what? Works, so that no one can brag, no one can boast. He goes, you're not saved by the good things you do. It's not a matter of like, if I just do enough good stuff, it's going to outweigh all the terrible stuff I've done in my past, and you know, and I whatever. And it, No, we're saved by what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying this, he's going, when you do good deeds, you reflect that your heart has been changed, that you've encountered his grace, and now you're beginning to live like Jesus does in your community. So how we treat others, the next and final line in your notes, how we treat others is a clear indicator of our trust in Jesus. If you look up those verses there from 1 John, you'll see he goes, you know what? If you say you love God, but you don't really value the people around you, he goes, you know what? Can I just tell you something? You don't love God. You can't can't say you love God and you don't love the people around you. Jesus goes, there's an incongruity there. And it's really what he's saying in this parable as well. And that he's going to separate people someday as the shepherd separates sheep from goats. Let me come back to the question. Which group are you going to be in? Are you one who's put your faith in Jesus and said, Jesus, I trust you and I want your love, to, I, want it to, I want it to flow through me. I, I, want, I want to give my life on behalf of the people around me. Or are you one who goes, you know, I, I don't really give a rip a whole lot about people around me. I mean, it's... I'm looking for my, for myself. He says, you're a goat. And it has eternal consequences. I'm grateful for how many sheep are here at Grace, and you are serving Jesus, many of you, without even knowing it. And here's what I think is going to happen someday. So either you're going to be called to heaven, or Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to say, hey, hey, come here a second. Can I, can I tell you something? He's going to look in the eye, and he's going to say, you know, I I want you to know that um, all of the ways you served people, like when you reached out to that person at work, that lady in your neighborhood, that person who had the child with with some special needs and and they're really, it was a real challenge and you, I I saw all of that. And, And the way you treated people with dignity like was a reflection of my heart. And what you did for them, you did for me. Welcome to your inheritance. Way to go. Friends, that's what Jesus is saying in this parable. And that's the result of when people begin and the church is the church and we reflect the heart and the character that just oozed out of him, things are better. So here's the promise, final promise here from Hebrews chapter 6. In fact, I'd love for you to say this verse aloud with me. You'll see it on the screen here. Um, Hebrews chapter 6. Do you guys want to put that up there? Um, There it is. Ready? Let's say it together aloud. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Just leave that up a second. As you help others, you're showing love to whom? You're showing love to him, to God himself, to the Lord. He sees and he rewards. Friends, I just believe that wherever we go this week, we're going to be seeing people who are in need, and Jesus is going to remind, he's going to go, when you do it for them, you're doing it for me. 
May we have his eyes. Let's pray for that. Would you pray with me and let's just ask him to have his way in us. Lord Jesus, today we pray, would you give us your eyes to see your face in the people around us. Lord, give us your ears to hear them, to listen, your heart to feel with them, to empathize, your love. Because Lord, I I know on my own, I can't do it. I, I can feel so overwhelmed And so, Lord, help me by your Holy Spirit to see people like you see them and to love them like you love them. Move us to share with those in need. God, show us how you want us to be involved for the sake of your name. And and, and Lord, may we live for that day when you call us home and, and, and we're among those you say, come, you who are blessed. Lord, that's what we want. So help us to live today in light of that day, we pray in your name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.